Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. This episode is sponsored by Hum Nutrition, a leading vitamin brand on the forefront of wellness. Hum is best known for Flatter Me, a digestive enzyme that debloats fast and went viral on TikTok. Rooted in science and backed by clinical research, HUM offers clean and targeted formulas that help you reach your wellness goals. From gut and skin health to vaginal and hormonal balance, HUM has specific solutions that work for you. HUM Nutrition's bestseller, Flatter Me, is the ultimate de-bloating hack. It's so easy for you. All you have to do is take one small capsule before a meal, and it helps you enjoy all of your favorite foods without the bloating aftermath. Flatter Me is clinically tested to de-bloat fast and works after only one use. Head to humnutrition.com, that is H-U-M nutrition.com, and get 40% off your first order with code GARAGE. Reach your wellness goals and head to humnutrition.com, that is H-U-M nutrition.com today as this offer expires soon. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who believes that the new Doritos flavor should be just plain crazy. Here is the captain. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today in the old garage fridge, we have Nosferatu, a delectable red ipa from our friends at great lakes brewing company nosferatu is an old favorite of ours it's malty hoppy and with notes of caramel to smooth this beer out really nice garage grade four out of five bottle caps and thanks to our friends for filling up the fridge for this week's shows we got to give some praise here captain first up a shout out to caitlin from philly and a big we like your jib goes out to Kristen and lake zarek and kill deer long distance cheers to Kristen, and a cheers to all of you that went to truecrimegarage.com and helped us out with the beer fund and thanks to all of you for the years of wonderful listenership and interacting with us and the show you do not know how much we appreciate it so for that and for everything we thank you makes it sound like it's our last show bwr you in Last beer run. Beer run. (laughs) For everything true crime 
Check out TrueCrimeGarage.com and make sure you leave us a five-star review. And that's enough of the BSNAS. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. Boardman, Ohio. In 1970, this suburb of Youngstown had a population of about 30,000 people, and that population would grow to almost 40,000 by 1980. In the early 70s, Boardman experienced what fortunately most cities and towns of its size rarely, if ever, experience. The homicides of three youths. The victimology was similar. Three boys, similar in age, ranging from 12 to 15 all from similar neighborhoods and backgrounds. And all three abducted or attacked while walking home as the sun was going down or shortly after. All three cases are still unsolved. Two cases are considered to be very much cold cases. The leads have seemingly dried up over the decades. Anything left open-ended, it appears those options have only been left that way because they were looked at, explored, and examined. And there either is likely one, if not two, results. Either no evidence to back the theory, or we just can't put someone where they would need to be to have committed the murder or murders. However, one of the cases is still very warm. And as we hinted at last week, One of the cases may be getting warmer as we speak. 15-year-old Thomas Baird was the first of three victims. He was attacked on his way home and later succumbed to his injuries in December of 1970. He was found by a police officer, having been badly beaten by an unknown assailant. Thomas was placed in intensive care, where sadly he passes away days later never regaining consciousness. Police were never able to question him about the attack that led to his death. Brad Bellino, age 12, was abducted on the last day of March, 1972, and he was killed after leaving his friend's house. His body was not found until April 4th, when a refuse collector spotted his feet sticking up in the trash in a collection bin behind some businesses in a busy section of Boardman. The third Boardman boy victim is 13-year-old David Evans, who goes missing on Friday, January 17, 1975. All signs point toward abduction. His hat 
was found trampled in the snow at an intersection in his neighborhood, just blocks from his home. His lifeless body was found near an office building, his little body frozen stiff. Sadly, the boy died from his diabetes. He was abducted and held somewhere and denied his much-needed insulin shots. Regardless of how he died or the coroner's ruling, he was murdered. He was abducted and then died from disease as his captor denied him treatment. And then his body was dumped. Of course, the good people of Boardman could not help but think that these three murders may be connected, maybe even committed by the same person or persons. In fact, even now, 50 years later, the case that is still showing promise of likely being solved, the Brad Bellino case, detectives have openly suggested that a break or an arrest in that case may lead to much-needed information in one, if not both, of the other homicides. In early February of 1975, just a little over a week after the Evans boy's body was found, the Boardman Chief of Police received a letter mailed from the greater Youngstown area. It was double-stamped with the word important on the front of the envelope. The single-page handwritten letter reads, To whom it may concern. Please don't let that man out of jail and Struthers, as he is the one responsible for three boys' deaths. The one that was found along a street, that Bellino boy, and Evans boy. That 11-year-old girl would have been dead by now if he had gotten away with it. Mr. As you know, one makes just one wrong move and gets caught. These kind of men must be kept out of circulation. Now, I cannot tell you who I am, as I want to keep on living. Someone would kill me. But if he is found guilty, I will talk to someone and tell you how I know. It may even come as a shock, and I know you won't want to believe me. The letter is signed, Please Help Save the Children. This is True Crime Garage. Last year, in a four-part series, we covered the Boardman murders, still unsolved at that time, over 50 years later in the cases of Thomas Baird and Brad Bellino, and coming up on 50 years of the David Evans case as well. Yesterday, we covered the updates in the Brad Bellino case, and thankfully here today, we have updates in the David Evans case as well. Well, for our update, we're going to go to the Vindicator and the David Evans case, they have been on this case since the beginning. They were the ones that actually printed the famous pictures of the dumpster behind the stores. That's correct. And we know how important it is in these cases for media coverage to get the answers and to find the persons responsible to keep these stories in the spotlight 
and keep them on the minds and in the hearts of the public who might be able to help law enforcement ultimately solve these cases and give these families some form of closure. So we go to the Vindicator or to Vindy.com if anybody wants to look this up. And the headline of this article is Cold Cases Cracked and Boardman Killer of Two Boys. And the article reads, the previously unsolved murders of two young boys from the Boardman area in the early 1970s have been solved. Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost and Township Police announced during a news conference at the Boardman Township Government Center. In the case of Bradley Bellino, who was 12 at the time of his death, Boardman officials announced that he was murdered after extensive DNA analysis over the course of 50 years. In 2001, Bellino's clothes were sent to the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation's Forensic Laboratory for testing. A DNA profile was obtained from the evidence left on the victim, and over the years, that DNA profile was advanced for checking against several suspects at the time, all of which came back negative. This is something that we talked about, Captain, when we did our coverage in 2022. We knew that in the Bellino case that they had a list of, I believe, 15 suspects, right? They have to make a short list of suspects. I think they whittled it down to about 15. And of that 15, I believe they had tested nine DNA comparison over the course of the years between 2001 and then leading up to actually solving the Bellino case in January of this year. And a reminder, police saying that no connection from the killer to Brad Bellino. So Joseph Norman Hill, the perpetrator in that homicide, was not one of those 15 suspects that they were looking to comparison test DNA against. If I'm law enforcement, I'm putting him on the list because, again, it's not the connection as far as like a friend or a family connection. The connection would be the community. The connection would be the town. Well, of course. Certainly he becomes a, a person of interest and a suspect in the David Evans case. But he was not on that short list for the Bellino case until the DNA evidence confirmed and led them to him earlier this year. Right. The laboratory developed several different investigative avenues, including Parabon Labs, which we've discussed here on the show several times, according to Boardman Police Chief Todd Worth. And with the assistance from the Lee County Sheriff's Department in Leesburg, Georgia, they were heavily involved in the scientific and forensic physical evidence angle of this investigation of recent. The BCI Laboratory of Ohio identified a DNA match that enabled the police department to recognize Joseph Norman Hill Sr. as the person responsible for Brad Bellino's murder. Hill, who was 32 in 1972. This article, some new information here on Hill, said that he lived at 151 Shadyside Drive in Boardman, but moved to California around 1978 and died in 2019 from natural causes. However, on Thursday, this was this is in June actually, but they're referencing the Thursday. Those in attendance learned more about an additional case with similar circumstances to Brad Bellino's. Three years after the abduction and death of Brad Bellino, 13-year-old David Evans also of Boardman, Ohio, was reported missing about a mile away from Bellino's residence. Evans was reported missing at midnight 
on January 18, 1975, after his father told police that he was gone for most of the evening before. He was diabetic, missing for longer than six hours, and later found frozen, lying dead on his back in the backyard of a home on Crestline Place in Boardman on January 23rd. Keep in mind, some of this, while it's while it's all true, it may just be a different description of what we had previously. The description we gave last year, which seems to be accurate in my opinion, was that he was found behind some bushes near a business because we know that it was a realtor in in his wife that reported finding the body after leaving their place of business on January the 23rd. That makes sense. One day after his body was found, former Mahoning County Deputy Coroner Dr. William Johnson ruled that the investigation, quote, held no element of criminality and the immediate cause of death was due to diabetic coma, according to the chief worth at the time, several police officers from around the area felt that Evans's death was a homicide. And we went into those reasons why yesterday and in our original coverage last year and continue to pursue this investigation, this death investigation as a homicide. The autopsy also found that Evans showed fractures to his left radius and a puncture wound in his lower back that were suffered after he died. The report also mentioned multiple abrasions on his face and upper part of his back, but no blood or seminal fluid were found on his clothing. After being reassigned the case, Sergeant Michael Hughes and a gentleman who we spoke about yesterday, Captain Albert Kakasik, met with current Mahoning County Coroner David Kennedy who reviewed the case and determined Evans' cause of death a homicide due to his broken bones and post-mortem puncture wounds. So this is our current-day police in Boardman, the current-day detectives, who then went to the current coroner all of these years later and said, hey, would you please review this file? Would you please review the report taken of where and how the body was discovered? Would you please review the report by the original coroner in the coroner's office? So to be clear, what we had, we had referenced uh, Dr. David Blinky yesterday and in our original coverage. And here this report states County Deputy Coroner Dr. William Johnson ruled that the investigation, quote, held no element of criminality and the immediate cause of death was due to diabetic coma. Yes, that's absolutely true. But Dr. David Belinke signed off on that ruling after the fact. Right, and to be clear, there's post-mortem wounds. Correct. So it's, you know, this kid goes into a, a coma, right? He didn't, he didn't, yeah, he didn't go into a coma and die and continue to injure himself after right. after death. And very rightfully so, back then in 1975, again, the police are telling the coroner, no, this is signs of a homicide. This is signs that this kid died while being held captive by somebody after he was abducted. And all of these injuries post-mortem are due to somebody trying to cover up that crime, trying to cover up and conceal this body and get rid of his body after the fact. Right. Now, 
Current day, after several DNA tests conducted by BCI on the clothing still in the police department's possession, again, kudos to Boardman for not giving up on this case. This would have been a case easy to give up on when two coroners sign off on, well, he died of natural causes. There's no element of criminality here in this case. Boardman said nope, and they never gave up on David Evans's case, just like they never gave up on Brad Bellino's case. The clothing is still in the police department's possession. They get it tested by BCI. A profile contained in Evans's underwear matched the DNA of Joseph Norman Hill Sr. Surprise, surprise. And confirmed his connection to the additional murder. So regardless of how David Evans passed away, To find this man's DNA in this kid's underwear, to find this man's DNA on the person of Brad Bellino, who was killed three years before David Evans. And I tell you, look up a picture of these two boys. If you want to do some further investigating, some some further sleuthing, these two boys, you want to talk about a victim type. Yeah, it's dark at night. Yeah, they might have been wearing hats, and but these two boys look like they could be cousins. And another thing that's incredibly scary about this is, look, it's scary anytime somebody is is picking a, a child victim. There, there's no greater loss of life than that. No greater loss than this. But Evans was twelve. I'm sorry, Bellino was twelve, and Evans was thirteen. And again. These two boys were small for their age, and they looked much younger, in my opinion, than their than their age would indicate. Again, crime of opportunity. If you know you're going to try to abduct the child, the smaller the child, the easier it is probably to abduct them. Yeah, and to look at where they believe that David Evans was last seen and his his hat his his winter hat being found there lying on the ground trampled in the snow that to me indicates that this kid was snatched somebody ripped this kid off the streets and put him in their vehicle and so you compare that we now know that the same guy did this murder as well you have to wonder, did he do the same thing to Brad Bellino three years ago? Did he, did, he, did he snatch that kid, rip him off of the streets, pull him into his gold-colored Monte Carlo, and drive off with him? The article goes on, and it, it, again, they're talking about uh, Captain Worth here, who commended the Ohio Attorney General David Yost and Ohio BCI forensic scientist Erica Jimenez, and Stacy Viola for their continued service and commitment to each of these cases, the Bellino case and the Evans case. Quote, a lot of different efforts went into that case, not only the Boardman Police Department, but a lot of different agencies that have supported us in that one, end quote. Attorney General Dave Yost also praised the families of the victims and the team that worked on the second murder saying superheroes don't always wear capes. Sometimes they wear lab coats. Our role at the attorney general's office is not to be in law enforcement. It's to provide support, logistics, expertise, and forensics. 
and so forth to help them do their jobs. Losing a loved one is tremendously difficult, especially when a family has to wait over 50 years to actually get the answers that they always knew existed. This is a quote from Mahoning County prosecutor and saying that David was the victim of homicide at the hands of Joseph Norman Hill Sr. This is the same man who took the life of Bradley Bellino many years ago. Investigating these cases is not easy. And it actually was impossible until certain techniques related to DNA were developed and refined several years ago, end quote. So as the captain said when we let in here, a bit of a side note, kudos too to the Vindicator who covered these two cases from the very beginning and did gangbusters work on their continued coverage throughout the course of what amounted to over 50 years of media coverage in the homicide cases of Brad Bellino and David Evans. Well, again, at the time, we didn't know if there was a personal connection between the killer and Brad Bellino, but there was still some speculation that these crimes were connected. Yeah, and that was certainly our belief as well. And I was very happy that we were able to put our stamp on that because that that's something that People had kind of hemmed and hawed and limped in about giving their opinion on are any of these cases connected. And it, I thought when we reviewed them and looked at them very closely that the Bellino case and the Evans case looked very similar to me. Well, the victimology seemed very similar. Exactly. Victim type. They're both walking home. They were both in neighborhoods. You know, we don't know exactly where. Unlike David Evans, we don't know exactly where Bradley Bellino was picked up or pulled into that vehicle. Well, but what we do I, know is he was leaving Applewood Acres and he was heading back to his neighborhood. So they very likely could have been abducted in similar settings. Right. At nighttime walking home. A lot of similarities. And then discarded of. the Even, even the getting rid of the bodies, very similar. One in the dumpster one behind the bushes in, in in this area of town, not far away from where Brad Bellino's body was found either. I also go, I might go a step further and question what else was done to David Evans. We do know that the, this coma diabetic coma seems to have taken place, but you know, did, did Joseph Norman Hill, did he learn anything by leaving that belt with the previous victim? Did he learn anything about what not to leave with the, his next victim, could that belt have made him nervous when he knew that the investigators were really honing in on that piece of evidence, that key piece of evidence in the Brad Bellino case? The other thing, when we're handing out kudos here, Captain, that gets lost in the sauce on this story is David Evans's father. Unfortunately, in the Bellino case, the parents were not still alive to see their son's homicide solved and closed after all of those years. And unfortunately in David Evans's case, we have the same thing while siblings are still alive. We don't have the parents of David Evans to have seen this case closed all these years later. And especially my heart breaks for his father. So his father was one of the first to stand up with police and, and maybe even encourage police to stand up at the beginning of the case and tell the coroner, no, 
this th- there's something terribly wrong here. This is a homicide. We need to be looking at it as such, investigating it as such. And David Evans's father never stopped fighting for his son. He attempted to rally the troops time and time again. He opened up his own investigation that lasted years. He wrote letters to the mayor, to the governor, to the president of the United States on behalf of his son and his son's case, trying to get this case right the ship and get it to be investigated as a homicide. And we know that Boardman PD, they were treating it as such all of those years. But again, limited on what resources they could pull in based off of the coroner's conclusion and and ruling. And so David Evans's father was even communicating, writing letters to inmates, looking for an informant, looking for information about his son's murder, meeting with, with violent people and career criminals behind prison bars and in, in rooms, interviewing them, conducting his own investigation. This great man never gave up on his son. And I would want nothing more than for his, for him to have seen this, to, to witness that. Yes, we we not only have changed our ruling all these years later, but we also found the guy that was responsible. And then you raised all these other questions, right? This just, we had these questions when Joseph Norman Hill senior was connected to the murder of Brad Bellino, but now you have to double down on all those questions. He killed, he killed another boy. The Bellino case wasn't just a one-off. It was one of two. It was one of how many you have to wonder at this point. So he kills Bellino in 72, kills Evans in 75. And then in 1978, he moves from Boardman, Ohio out to California. And I don't have a list of everywhere that he lived during that time. San Bernardino is definitely referenced by police in their information about Joseph Norman Hill, but also they state that he lived at, in at least 14 different residences that they can find in the state of California. And so you have to wonder who or if did he kill anybody before Brad Bellino and who and if did he kill after David Evans? And police, rightfully so, were now saying at this second news conference where they give us the information about David Evans's death and their investigation into that homicide, that we're not only looking for information on Joseph Norman Hill here in Ohio, we're not only looking for information about him in California, we are looking for information about him in all parts in between. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing that you do if you have an extra hour in your day? Do you go for a run? Do you take a nap? Read a book? Listen to an episode of your favorite podcast, True Crime Garage? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule 
is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. We're proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com slash garage today. Have you ever thought about why your wireless bill is so damn expensive? It's all just radio waves, and how much can a radio wave really cost? Seems like Big Wireless got together and decided, $100 a month? I think they'll buy it. What choice do they have? Now, thanks to Mint Mobile, you do have a choice. For a limited time, all phone plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. So ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited-time deal and get premium wireless service for just 15 bucks a month. I made the switch. I'm enjoying it. The secret is in the sauce over at Mint Mobile. 5G for free, no extra overhead, flexible plan options. Your unlocked device and current phone number are always welcome at Mint Mobile. I made the switch. I love it. You should do the same. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Do you want to set your child up for success? Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Maybe your kid has questions and you don't feel equipped to answer. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way with positive feedback. Backed by research, kids using IXL are scoring higher on tests. With studies done in almost every state in the country, the kids who had IXL are constantly doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And there's one site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. A single hour of tutoring costs more than a month of IXL. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. I know for me growing up, there were courses that I struggled with. Some courses I loved and I excelled. Other courses couldn't keep my interest and I needed to be dialed in. I have friends who are using IXL with their children and they're seeing the results that they wanted. We're talking grade school, middle school. In both cases, they are getting the results that they are wanting and their children are excelling in their courses. Make an impact on your child's learning and get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners can get an exclusive 20% off 
IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. It takes you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. You'll step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. Use your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. And customize your very own luxurious estate island. Think expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. Collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. And you can chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. All right, we are back. Cheers, mates. Cheers to you, Captain. Tall cans in the air. Tall cans in the air for the uh, good people of Boardman and all the work that was put in to these two cases over the course of over 50 years to finally get them solved and get some answers. And now, left here with some answers, but more questions. You, you were talking about giving some kudos. These are cases that are almost 50 years old for them to still have the evidence. I mean, how many cases are only 20, 30 years old and they go, well, uh, we think we lost the evidence in a, in a move or there was a fire. Or there's They come up with a lot of excuses why they don't have the evidence anymore. Yeah, it's it's like that old story that you hear with the, uh, the records, right? Like, so you talk to a school, an orphanage, a church, uh, really any building, And you always hear that story of, well, we kept the records in the basement. And in 1997, there was a flood and we lost all the records. Um, So it it happens in in all forms of of business and all forms of uh, municipalities. Uh, So, yeah, you're right. Kudos to them for still having the evidence in these cases. But then we talked about how police stated that the facts of the Thomas Baird case they believe suggested that that Baird case is much different than Bellino's case and Evans's case. Now, a couple things that we do know, while we don't know a lot about Joseph Norman Hill, we do know that he was living in Boardman when Thomas Baird was killed it in 1970. Like, it seems like he had a stretch there for about six years or, or maybe From what more. I can tell, he may have grown up in the area. Hmm. Um, again, they're still trying to piece together the timeline, the Joseph Norman Hill timeline and put, put him in different places and then examine any kind of cases that he could be connected to. Now we will hear from the experts. We will hear from law enforcement that will say we're pretty confident that he's not responsible for any other murders in this area, uh, before leaving for California. What they're not confident in is in is once he left Ohio. 
But I want to throw this out there because I had I was able to team up with a couple of people, and I want to give a some shout outs here. First up, a shout out to Carolyn Berardino. She wrote a fantastic article on the Boardman murders case for the Porchlight Project years ago, and it's up on porchlightonline.org. If you want to go there and read her article, I highly recommend it. It's one of the best articles about the Boardman cases. And also, she's a local, so she discusses what a lot of the suspicions were at the time, even the local rumors at the time, who could be responsible for the murders of these three kids. So I spent a lot of time speaking with Carolyn and also a lot of time speaking with my friend, Brian Smith. And the reason being is Carolyn was able to provide True Crime Garage with the David Evans case file, police case file. And she provided that to us. And I mean, that that's big for us to be able to get a hold of a case file. It happens maybe a dozen times or so to get a complete case file like that. The David Evans case, same as the Brad Bellino case, it didn't go unsolved for a lack of effort. It didn't go unsolved for 50 years due to a lack of effort. Right. It's just a lack of technology. And I can tell you that having reviewed that file. So I called upon Carolyn and, and Brian to help me review this file and track down any possible leads in it when this case was still unsolved because that case file, 400 pages approximately filled. A lot of them with vehicle descriptions, possible suspects, and things of that nature. And some of those suspects looked really good. And now we sit here and we know that Joseph Norman Hill was ultimately responsible for not only the David Evans case, but the Brad Bellino case. So I don't know that I'm so quick to say, hey, we're confident that he wasn't responsible for anything else. And I also want to throw this tidbit out there. When we were reviewing that file and when we were reaching out to other people involving the Bellino case, and and mind you, we're reviewing this file before any of these cases were closed. Reaching out to other people about the Bellino case and even the Baird case, because the Baird case, while we had always heard this story that police think it was he was jumped by a group of kids from from another high school on his way home, that there was some kind of kerfuffle that broke out at the skating rink, and then he's on his way home and they must have attacked him. One piece of information that we came across that makes you really wonder what happened is we found in the police report that when Thomas Baird was found having been beaten severely, that his, his pants were either off or down around his ankles. Right. And was it clear whether or not he had a belt or not? That's a good question. Um, I, we might have to save that for off the record because when I'm driving to the garage this morning, that's what popped in my mind. I'm like, what can I find? You know, I wish I had brought that report with me to review for you because I can't remember if they, they mention a belt or not, but what stood out was the pants down around the ankles or, or completely removed or in the process of being removed because we know that the abduction of David Evans the murder of Brad Bellino were sexually motivated homicides by Joseph Norman Hill senior. I'm not saying that a group of kids or older boys didn't attack Thomas Baird. I'm not saying that 
What I'm saying is it's confusing for me and it's difficult for me to wrap my head around the idea that they beat this kid up and then pulled down his pants. Well, I agree, and but I also disagree because if these kids were trying to... If they were trying to humiliate him, that's one thing. Right. I, I get it. I get that. But what I'm saying is we know that these other two homicides, a child homicide in Boardman, Ohio in the 70s, extremely rare extremely rare and we now know that two of the three cases are 100 percent connected the right. same perpetrator involved sexually motivated homicides of a child i just i'm not trying to sell it to anybody but i'm saying until the evidence tells us otherwise we should not completely disregard the idea that maybe joseph norman hill came across thomas baird on his way home walking by himself right picks him up or gets him into his vehicle and somehow a, a fight breaks out between the two of them or Thomas Baird decides to defend himself and he's larger than Brad Bellino, larger than David Evans, older, maybe puts up a, a better fight, if you will, and that this is the end result. I don't think we can just disregard that. And to say to that we have the information now that we know that Baird was able to communicate with the investigators, not verbally, but communicated that, yes, he knew his attackers or knew his attacker. You talked about it. The connection before we knew from science and from DNA that it's the same perpetrator is the area. Could Joseph Norman Hill have known Thomas Baird? Did Thomas Baird get into his vehicle because he knew Joseph Norman Hill? So I wouldn't I wouldn't go be so fast to disregard that. What's very interesting to me though, Captain, is as soon as the Bellino case was cold, was closed with this evidence, they immediately jumped back on the horse and went after the David Evans case. Right. So you have to wonder if they have DNA in the Baird case, you know what they're doing right now. They're working that Baird case. And it could be any day that we find out who's responsible for the murder of Thomas Baird, Joseph Norman Hill or otherwise. Well, obviously, with these developments and these cases, we're going to have statements from law enforcement. Yes, both the, the current uh, prosecutor and the Ohio Attorney General had very interesting comments about closing out the David Evans case. And some of this will echo statements that were given in the Bellino case. Here we have the Mahoning County prosecutor stating, quote, I was comfortable we would end up getting an indictment if Mr. Hill was still alive. This in regard to the David Evans case. So two cases where she is confident that they would get an indictment from a grand jury. And then we have Boardman Police Sergeant Mike Hughes, who's talking more about 1975 and the community at the time, he's saying we had two young boys dead. Hughes said that in the case file on David Evans, it indicated a large amount of panic at the time in the township. And after having reviewed that file, I can say 100% yes. That file had portions of it. A decent percentage of that file was filled with letters that were to either to the newspaper or to the police pointing the finger at other people or saying, look, what, what, what do we have here? What's going on in our community? It's not safe for my children to play outside anymore. 
The prosecutor goes on to say, quote, Mr. Hill ruined so many lives. I only wish that he had lived long enough to have been brought to justice. And then David Yost said the investigation has conclusively linked both homicides to Joseph Norman Hill. In both cases, the Mahoning County Prosecutor's Office determined that the forensic evidence would be sufficient to present the cases to a grand jury for indictment if Joseph Hill had remained alive. Quote, while Hill cannot fully be held accountable for these horrendous crimes, our hope is that after almost 50 years, knowing who is responsible for Bradley and David's deaths can bring some sense of closure to the families and friends. Yost called Joseph Hill a serial killer and said that other victims are being sought. Well, and this can take some time because, again, he moved to different locations and you're going to have to go through a pretty large part of his life. I, I don't believe he just started killing people at the age of 30. Yeah, he would have been 32 when Bellino was killed. And one thing that the the data tells us, and this is, this is not the biggest of sample sizes. I think this is across maybe 90 serial killers or so. And, right. of course, throughout history in the United States, there's been, unfortunately, more than 90 serial killers. But the data in that sample size tells us that the average age that a serial killer starts killing is in their late 20s and that the average age of an active serial killer before being caught or killed or before they stop the few that do stop would be their late 20s so we're talking 25 to 29 or 30 is that prime meridian age that we're looking at and so this could be two years, four years, seven years before we know that Joseph Norman Hill Sr. killed anybody. And the thing is, too, that I wouldn't, just because we have two boys here, given their young age and, and their very young appearance, I wouldn't limit my investigation to just males. I think you have to look at any potential young girl victims too. And unfortunately we sit here, we're a month away from them closing David Evans's case. Mm -hmm. Scratch that a month and a half, almost two months away. And we still know very little about Joseph Norman Hill's life. And part of that is any children that he has. I know I kept saying that he has one child. He, I believe it's, you know, it's been reported that he has one child and that seems to be very accurate from everything I can find. But that relationship was estranged for, for many, many years. On top of that, the person that likely knew him the best, who may have been fooled by him just like the rest of us, would be his wife. And his wife, unfortunately, passed away in 1993. So any suspicions she had or any blanks that she could fill in for us, we don't have that resource to go to. Right. I sit here and I don't think that this guy does two of these and maybe, maybe he moved out to California and started anew. Maybe he said, I'm going to walk away from this life and I'm never going to do this again. But he wasn't able to stop himself on that night in 1972. And he wasn't able to stop himself again three years later in 1975. So when did he start? When did he stop? And then the other troubling thing is his occupation. 
we don't get a lot of information about this occupation. I've done some digging on this and the information is just not there that he drove a truck for a, a bottling company for a, a bottled water company. Further digging actually says that he, he may have been delivering produce at the same time or delivering produce uh, at other times in his life. So he had a job that put him out on the road. What were those routes? How far did those routes go? Were they limited to Boardman or Youngstown or that general area? Or did they go outside of those areas? And when was he not prowling for a victim? You don't just shut this thing off. You don't just say, you know what? I stay pretty busy between 8 a.m. and 4 p.m. I don't abduct kids during those times. You don't just shut these things off. And the, the scary thing is we've, you know this, Captain, we've seen it time and time. This guy looks like a normal dude. He looks like a normal guy that you would see out washing his car in the driveway in your neighborhood and would probably say hi to him and would probably say hi back. He looks like a normal, friendly guy. And if Brad Bellino was hitching a ride, that's probably why he got in the car with this dude, because he looked like a normal, regular guy. But he wasn't. He's a serial killer. Exactly. Yost said it. We're saying it. And like David Yost and the police chief for Boardman said, we need to find out more about this guy for the state of Ohio, his time in California, and all parts in between. Well, it's such a privilege that you join us here each and every week, and it's a privilege that we're able to have some positive updates on these cases. Yeah, it's so rewarding, and I hope it's equally rewarding for the listeners because you're a part of all of this. When we can review a case and then later it gets solved, Yeah, it's, I mean, there is a weird sense of satisfaction for us here in the garage. And I hope that you all feel it too. And while we don't sit here and pretend that we had anything to do with the solving of either of these cases, we cover these stories. Our job is to stir the pot, keep them in the spotlight. And we wouldn't be able to do that without the audience. And so just, it's another good day here in the garage. So many of the cases that we've covered have ended up being solved and even solved relatively quickly after our coverage. So really good news for the people of Boardman. I know that this has haunted many of them for so many years in the families. And unfortunately the, the parents not being around to see the, the resolve in both of these cases. Do we have any recommended reading for the beautiful listeners this week? We do captain this week. We will be recommending a novel. This is Nosferatu by the great Joe Hill and, Side note, not the Joseph Hill that we've spent the last two hours talking about here in the garage. We have author Joe Hill. This is a novel. Nosferatu is a dark fantasy horror about a woman trying to save her son from a vicious supernatural killer. His name, Charlie Manx III, who kidnaps children across the country in his 1938 Rolls Royce Wraith. Normally, Captain, when we recommend something other than true crime, it is for those looking for a little escape from the heaviness and the heartbreak of true crime stories. But this one reads very much like a supernatural crime and murder fiction. So this recommendation is more for those looking for a dark journey with hints of true crime. 
So check out Nosferatu. That's Nos, the number four, the letter A, the number two, by Joe Hill. You don't have to write that great title down right now. No, because we will have it listed on our recommended page on True Crime Garage. Go there and find a lot of other wonderful recommendations as well. And until next week, be good, be kind, and don't litter. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.